Schwab Asset Management is proud to support the Inside ETFs podcast. In today's complex world, Schwab Asset Management provides a simple, straightforward approach to investing. As one of the largest and most experienced asset managers, they offer low-cost core ETFs for building the foundation of a diversified portfolio. Their focused lineup, which includes market cap index and strategic beta ETFs, is a reflection of a commitment to deliver exceptional experiences to investors and the financial professionals who serve them. Learn more at schwabassetmanagement.com forward slash ETFs. Hello and welcome to Inside ETFs, the podcast where we bring the latest and greatest ETF industry perspectives directly to you through in-depth discussions with key thought leaders from across the ETF ecosystem. I'm your host, Douglas Jonas, the head of exchange-traded products at the New York Stock Exchange, the home of ETFs. Now, today, I'm joined by Lisa Dalmer. Lisa is the Chief Operating Officer for Dimensional Fund Advisors. As COO, Lisa leads Dimensional's finance, operations, and technology teams. She's passionate about strategy and commercializing growth and has brought her extensive experience of working with CEOs, sales, and product development teams to her role at Dimensional. Notably, in both 2011 and 2013, Lisa was recognized among Financial News' 100 Most Influential Women in Finance. She holds an MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business and a BA from Miami University, and she received additional training at the London School of Economics. Lisa, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Deb, for having me. It's just delightful to be here uh, with you and on behalf of the NYSE. Now, we've known each other for quite some time. And before we talk about Dimensional, I want to actually go back. Could you talk to us a little bit about when you first became involved with ETFs in your career? Sure. Um, and this is this is kind of why I have a little bit of that soft spot for the NYSE is I uh, first became enamored with ETFs in 2001 uh, when I joined Archipelago Trading. At the time, it was an ECN. It later became a full-fledged exchange and then ultimately was acquired by the NYSE. When I started in looking at ETFs, there was maybe 20 or 25 ETFs available in, across all of the U.S. markets, and they were primarily used by institutional trading community. Um, they were floor traded, and I just saw the way that trading was changing over time, and I just found the offering of Archipelago really interesting, um, and that is what kind of led me to uh, a really long kind of career arc in, in ETFs and at the exchanges. Now, for those who've listened to other episodes and heard me talk about a little of the early history, you know, here I was, even me in my career, uh, I think my first project team for ETFs was in 1999, 2000. Yet for me, never did I see a clear path to the growth we've seen. Never did it in my mind in those first, even maybe five or 10 years, did I think ETFs would become what they ended up becoming today. And yet here you were in the earliest of days. What is it that you saw? What is it that made you believe back then that ETFs had such a strong future? And did you really chart the path of growth that we've actually seen? I don't know that I charted the path or ever for you know, had a view that it would be as big as it is. But I certainly like you in the early 2000s, you know, I was getting involved in the industry space. It was it was quite small still. But there were a couple of things happening in the ecosystem that were incredibly valuable and really played to the product design of an ETF. And that was that technology was really, really changing how trading, how people did trading, institutional, as well as 
investors um, and advisors. And ETFs are fundamentally baskets of known holdings. Um, So the intraday price of an ETF is based on the prices of other securities. So as technology started to really you know, really make changes in the trading markets and how people traded all through 2000 and, and the 2010s, we started to see that the institutional community as well as advisors really leaning into this feature of an ETF because technology made it easier to access the products. It made it easier to articulate that you want to buy or sell with a limit order at a at, at kind of a faster frequency of computing that price. And that's where we saw the the times where we saw the NYSE also making changes to add more technology to the trading floor. So these things were coming together. The product itself lent itself to the features that technology really drove and amplified. And that's where ETFs really started getting, I think, the, the beginning of that steep curve of growth was in that kind of 2005 to 2015 time period. And it's so fascinating to me, again, that your lens on that, giving your technology background, you were looking at it as, boy, th- these are all opportunities. Whereas I was coming from the buy side and thinking, how are the markets ever going to price NAV real time? You know, I was living in a mutual fund company. <laughs> yeah. we, had to, we had to have NAV priced once a day. To me, it seemed like obstacles. To you, it seemed like opportunity. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, uh, the NYSE saw that opportunity having purchased Archipelago in 2006. And we had already on Archipelago had listed 20 ETFs. And I think combined with the NYSE's 15, uh, 50 or so ETF listings, you know, we, we were already starting to see where technology was really pushing and, and taking advantage of, to your point, the ability to price that product intraday. I think the, the growth of the, of the space also is, comes from investors. Investor wanted, investors wanted more control. They wanted more abilities and ways to express their view intraday. And this was a mechanism for doing that. Um, and I think we really just saw investors embrace that opportunity set. And through, you know, call it the 2000 to 2015, the thought leadership around advocating for ETFs was something that um, you know I'm incredibly proud of having been involved in, whether it be the market structure rules, the market making process. And I think the industry, the exchanges, as well as the issuers continue to partner really, really well to drive that and really educate investors. So I think it's um, it's been a resilient kind of legacy, if you will, the growth of this, and it continues to grow. And that's, it's, it's here to stay. It's a lasting you know, investment tool. And for any doubters listening in, thinking about, uh, think about that, that level of visionary expertise needed. You're talking about a, a time when there was about 80 ETFs in the market. We now have almost 3,000, and yet still yes. asset managers are coming into this space. So if anyone's doubting Lisa, they should doubt no more <laughs> about her ability to see into the future. And then, of course, through some of those acquisitions, it ended up being NYSE Euronext for a number of years. And as a result, you were given an opportunity, or maybe you stood up and raised your hand, but you ended up spending a number of years running businesses in Europe for the NYSE Euronext acquisition. Could you tell us a little bit about that and maybe share some of your top leadership lessons as a result of being part of what was probably a very multifaceted role? 
Sure. Uh, yeah, it was a it, it was a fascinating time. NYSE had acquired Archipelago. NYSE had acquired the Amex. And then we went on to merge with Euronext. And it was then that the CEO, uh, Duncan Niederauer, asked me to go over to Europe and be the chief operating officer for the European businesses, which really meant the commercial model for ETFs, indexes, and cash trading. And this was at a time when we were coming out of the global financial crisis. I mean, it was a fascinating time to be in finance, number one. And secondly, you know, I was in Europe and I was dealing with five different regulators. And it was just a tremendous growth period, I think, for, for anyone in financial services. And I think the lessons I learned from that time are ones that I hope, I think, our companies and, and, and firms that are resilient through crises learn and really need to embrace is transparency. And I can tell you that, you know, leading through transparency, this, you know, with your regulators, with your clients, um, and and frankly, all the way down to building building that public trust, so building trust um, back into the ecosystem, you know, demonstrating transparency with all of those partners, clients, regulators, and the public was essential to rebuilding trust in the capital markets process and the the kind of ongoing way we, whether it be in ETFs or in stock trading, needed to to reposition how those markets continue to function, even when other markets were struggling. Um, So transparency was, was definitely something we learned and practiced every day. Um, the other lesson I would say I learned during that time is client first. You've really, really, really got to dem- demonstrate client first. That means driving their success and their goals ultimately drives yours and really actively listening to them and wrapping your solutions around their needs. So that allows you as a partner of that client um, to really create innovation that lasts and the sustainable solutions, those are the ones that uh, benefit the whole ecosystem. And I think that coming out of that financial crisis in my role and in living in Europe and working with many regulators, you know, really putting that client first and demonstrating that was, you know, one of the many lessons I, I learned and, and continue to continue to learn every day and continue to practice. And then I would say partnership is probably the other lesson I, I really observed and learned is partnership involves compromise and partnership with regulators, partnership with clients, that long-term thinking to where you can innovate. Again, it goes back to these you know, sustainable solutions that benefit the whole ecosystem. And that could be around how uh, short selling's done, what you're reporting, what the restrictions are, what they, you know, what what's allowed, position limits, et cetera. All of that in those years coming out of the financial services crisis, and in particular in Europe where I was operating, where it was a multi-jurisdictional environment, were transparency, client first, and partnership were things that I learned and behaved, and I still are very much a part of what I'm doing. And I think... At any firm you work at, if those are the hallmark of how you execute, I think you'll do well as a, as a, as a firm and as a leader too. Yeah, great tips. And, and you know, I, I think about some of that experience you had, right? We talk about Europe as, this, as if it's a single location, but you, you noted a few times, it's really not. I mean, it's a, it's a region Correct. and you, you've got many different cultures, many different languages, many different uh, ecosystems, trading systems, all, all kind of working together. And, and, you know, here you are managing across all of them. At the same time, 
uh, starting a family. So, so your children were born there. Uh, you know, when, when you take away that experience and then you come back to the States, are there, are there things that you see in the world? Does your worldview change as a result of your time being spent overseas? Sure. I think it does. I think anytime you live and work overseas, you learn to walk in somebody else's shoes, right? And that is the the great, you know, get the, the inside outside in view of things. I think what I, what I experienced by having done that for five years is that people are more often the same than they are different. And you start to see the similarities threaded throughout, whether it be business or your community, is that I think whether it's the clients or the regulators or the public trust, they're looking, those key things are largely the same in every, in every country um, in the sense that people want trust. They want outcomes they can count on and they, they want to know they ha- that you have your, their interest at, at the forefront. And I think that that's where I learned really to be an active listener in that process and when you're an active listener, you start to recognize that things people talk about global scale, global offering, and it's often talked about as if it's mutually exclusive to local customizations and local needs. And I think when you are working in a multi-jurisdictional environment, you start to really see when you're living in a different country, you really start to see how those two things are not mutually exclusive. You can have global scale, global offering, and still have those locally defined needs meeting the client where they are. And that includes in the communication, in um, the explanations, in working with them and working with their end client. So I, I just think one of the things I just really learned really well is how to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes and look at that from their perspective. Um, I take that to kind of today's context and I look at you know what I do at dimensional and we're a global we have global funds we are a global operator um, investment manager and we believe investors all want the same thing in, at, at the at the core which is long-term success consistency of outcome and all investors you know are looking to minim- minimize taxes tax loss harvesting and really have confidence that their advisor or their CIO is making a decision uh, for them that really gives them confidence the outcome. Investor, whether you're an investor in the Netherlands or the UK or Ireland or Asia or the US, th- those things are consistent. And I think that when you live and work overseas, you do learn that there's more similarities and differences sometimes and how to bring those together. They're not mutually exclusive. So let's stay on dimensional there because you started to talk about some of the different aesthetics, if you will. W- w- you know, it certainly wasn't a straight line from Paris and NYSE Euronext, but what is it that that drew you in? Because it certainly is a perfect fit. Yeah, thank you. You know, I started my career on the sell side and then I had 14 years of capital markets technology at, at ARCA and NYSE and NYSE ARCA and NYSE Euronext. And I realized I really was missing this kind of other kind of lean in to the buy side. And I was really attracted to the history of innovation at Dimensional and that it's really deeply rooted in the academic science of investments and the investment process. That plays to my own preferences and how the firm goes about implementing is using technology to do it at scale and to drive efficiencies. So I really chose Dimensional 
um, because it's driving excellence in that client space, the investment space, and quite frankly, the employee experience space, which is also very you know, important to me is the employee experience. Happy employees are, are, are good for happy customers where we are, you know, growing in, as we all are, all of us in these firms are growing in that constant journey of employee engagement. I'm really pleased with, you know, where we, where we've come from and where we're driving at inclusion and diversity at Dimensional and what we call Dimensional University, which is management training and thought leadership. Um, so, it's really been a great fit. I've been with Dimensional about two and a half years and and uh, loving it and loving Austin. And, and let's stay on that theme. You mentioned a lot about engagement because it's such a, a key component, if you will, of Dimensional and their very unique advisor model, right? What, what is it about either the culture or the process that really engages advisors and, and many times will bring advisors in um, versus a lot of firms that go out and, and try and seek advisors. Yeah, we, 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 we definitely do a little bit of both. We're on the road plenty, um, particularly lately. We're getting ramping that back up. But I was, I was blown away when I interviewed um, here. I remember hearing that there was 19,000 people that came through Dimensional's off- offices. And you know we have a very strong offering for independent advisors where they can really come to our offices and they hear from our academic experts, they hear from Nobel laureates, they hear from our head of research and they have study groups and they build communities around those study groups, um, whether it be regional or others that they learn from. And it's around a topic, maybe it's around inflation, maybe it's around fixed income, maybe it's around international equities, but we do a tremendous amount of content. So for example, in 2021, we did 92 webcasts and we had 19,500 people attending live attendance over the course of the year. We had 75 conferences. Um, Four of them were in person last year and we had almost 11,000 attendees in those conferences. And those topics include, you know, a range of academic topics as well as practice management topics. So we work with advisors on practice management topics such as expansion, talent management, technology, growth. Because these sometimes are, you know, we've got clients, advisor clients who might be an eight-person shop or a four-person shop, or they might have, they might be more of a national firm and they have, you know, 50, 60 advisors nationally. So we've got a whole range and we want to meet them where they are. And sometimes that means we're going out to the field to meet them. Sometimes they're joining via webcast. So it's really quite a, a, a really in-touch experience where we put the clients and their needs first. Yeah, and it's pretty unique, right? For, for an asset manager, the size of Dimensional, you're managing well over $670 billion globally to then, and, and really all the way through, turn around and say, hey, we're actually offering you services in the field of practice management. Hey, we're an asset manager and here are our asset management services. Could you share a little bit about where that comes from and, and maybe what it is that, that you mean by a practice management service? Sure. I think that comes from the genesis of we realize that as we're as we're working with independent advisors, they don't have a whole academic team to lean into. They don't always have a a large 
um, you know, marketing team to lean into. So they want to know best practices and we can teach them, you know, here's some, here's some great tips. Here's a great tool. Here's how you can do an email marketing campaign. So we can help them build their practice literally because they're often small firms getting off the ground. And yet at the same time, we've got larger firms who might have questions for me or our CTO about technology. Um, so it's really recognizing that we can't just give them investment advice and walk away. They've got a whole practice they're trying to build. We have to treat, you know, we have to kind of help the whole being and being a advice provider at a holistic level is why we have the practice management services. And that includes helping them benchmark against their peers. We have a uh, global advisor survey that we've been running for 12 years across advisors and we've got over 800 participating advisors globally. So it's in other currencies, it's in other locations. And it gives them a way to look at how they're doing, how they're growing, um, where others are spending their time, where others are investing uh, time and, and, and money and tooling, as well as, for example, what's the average assets under management per advisor if you're at a firm where you have multiple advisors, right? So it's it's really a... That's all part of the practice management is helping them benchmark and helping them know where do they need to be going to to keep growth going in their own in their own firm. Yeah, so interesting to be in the business of both asset management, but also you're in the business of helping others with their practice management for investment advisors. And to some for anyone who hasn't, by the way, visited one of your offices, because I have, I also find it really interesting that as an asset manager, you have a very unique culture, you've got art, artistic representation that carries its way all the way through even your buildings um, and has for many, many years. I, I don't, I don't, the more and more that's, that's coming up, right, as part of the experience. And as you said, the employee experience, but how, how does some of that culture that has been around and has been prevalent for a really long time fit into the broad strategy or how Dimensional kind of thinks about investing? Sure. So that, that's part of how we bring, how we, how we kind of drive that that engagement with our clients is we welcome them to our, to our offices. There is, you know, there might be a, a two-hour lecture on fixed income provided by one of our research, you know, like Savina Rizova, for example, is um, head of our research and she just was named to Barron's Top 100. And she might host a two-hour session um, on, you know, emerging market equities, or we might have Dave Plucka, who, who has our fixed income, talk about, um, you know, fixed income. And we really want them to feel like, A, that we're accessible, and B, that we'll help educate them so they can answer the client questions about the investment process. And our facilities really make that happen. Um, we have meeting forums, we have meeting rooms, they can bring their clients as well. Um, now, of course, the pandemic kind of made that all a bit different. And, and, and we were fortunate, we built out quite a bit of what we call small studio space. I happen to be in one of them today where any one of our salespeople can book a studio and record and broadcast and create a webcast for a client group or a particular client from the studio. We, you know, we, we invested in different size studios. So we're really trying to kind of bring the best of both the in-person experience because that does community building for our advisors when they meet each other and talk with each other as well as talking with us and also offer digital delivery via the webcasts, um, interactive en engagements on over digital delivery and as well as tooling up from our website. 
Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about the history of dimensional only because I think about even, you know, when I was coming through college, I think finance was a pretty early designation. Many of the founders, many of your firm's leadership are in, in a lot of ways, the founding finance, founding fathers of finance, uh, say that 10 <laughs> times quickly. But uh, what is it about that, that history, the, the, you know, the, the firm's leadership and, and how the team tends to think about both investing as well as portfolio allocation? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, David Booth, um, you know, he uh, went to University of Chicago in the early years and had exposure to Gene Fama and Roger, Roger Ibbotson and Merton Miller and Myron Scholes and, you know, then developed relationships with Ken French. We've got a tremendously deep academic rootings of 40 years of academic scientific research that is the underpinning of our investment process. And that's been uh, the cornerstone of our success is because it res- it's resilient. It lasts. The evidence is in our firm, actually, <laughs> right there. And, you know, we've, we've really brought that singular investment approach to whether it's emerging markets, international markets, global markets, U.S. markets, and really sought to optimize how we implement that, um, both from the trading efficiency, tax management, risk process, everything. And it's it's been, um, you know, we just celebrated last year, our 40th anniversary. Um, and the founders and our academic team and our research team is, is, uh, is a driving part of that success, as well as our client engaged. So we really break all that academic science down into consumable, understandable, plain English investment terms for our advisors, for them to be educated on, and for them to be able to explain it to to their client. So really demystifying it and breaking it down. And so you take the two of those together, that client engagement process with the academic and investment theory, and that's what makes us successful. That's why we've been resilient for 40 years. It's it's really fun. It's actually, it's super fun. And, and here we are, you're 40, 40 years in, uh, and now recently launching an ETF lineup, but not just launching. I mean, Dimensional is, if you've got to be the fastest growing ETF firm globally, particularly here in the US. Uh, and not only on top of that, you're really leading the charge, if you will, around active, you know, actively managed ETFs that are, that are transparent. How does that all happen? And seemingly, it might seem like overnight, but it, but it certainly wasn't. It it certainly wasn't overnight, and uh, it's too bad we're on a podcast. You, you would be able to see me grinning from ear to ear as you're asking me that question, because this is where I joined the right firm. Because my passion for ETFs and my passion for uh, doing something and and coming out as both an innovator, but coming out and being you know a leader. Um, is really, really fun. That's why I say it's really fun to work here. So we did launch our first ETFs in uh, the fall of 2020. And we did it after the SEC passed the rule allowing fully transparent active ETFs. That was the right regulatory environment for us because we have very we have we have very broad portfolios and we're comfortable that they're transparent. Um, but we aren't an index shop. We are we're we're frankly we're better than that. We 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 take it one step further to be, you know, kind of a 
smart around that investment process and not just kind of mimicking a, a set of index rules that are at arm's length. And so active transparent ETFs is, is, is the place where we are, you know, to your point, we've got 48 billion in assets under management. We now have um, just listed our 20th ETF. Um, I couldn't be prouder of the team and, and the firm's accomplishments, as well as the partnership from our clients. Because we ultimately only list an ETF if we think there's going to be client demand. And that's where I say, it's not just us. It's that partnership with our clients. Um, they're saying, hey, I want this. I want your investment process around international small cap. And I wanted an ETF packaging. And um, we, you know, we really spend a lot of time understanding what they want, having focus groups, and plotting out that path. So it's been really, really fun to um, to be part of the journey. And I think that we're of the mindset that regardless of the packaging mechanism is a mutual fund or an ETF or a separately managed account or a, uh, a CIT, that investment process we have, and that is our investment solutions, they're resilient and they're, um, they can work in, in all the different mechanisms that somebody would need to have uh, for their client. So given that perspective and, and given the global background, is it a situation where it's ETFs versus mutual funds? Is this a, is this a battle? I think, you know, it's really funny because in the early days, the ETFs, I would say, you know, the 2010s, 12, 13, 14, there was always that headline, active versus passive, ETFs versus mutual funds. And I think even on the debate of active versus passive, it still continues. And I think that just they're not, you know, reporters like to position one against the other. But in reality, if you look at the marketplace, um, there's a there's a role for 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 all of that. There's a role for mutual funds. There's a role for ETFs, and there's a role and a place for separately managed accounts. And I think we recognize that our clients, whether they be institutional or advisors, they really want to have our investment philosophy in all of those packaging mechanisms. And that's where we've we've got we've really recognized that mutual funds are for one type of advisor and one type of client and process. And some, some products are better suited for, for mutual funds, perhaps um, for the client, for the explanation. Others, ETFs work better. The advisor and the client want to have more intraday control and they want more intraday execution. So I think it's, I think then you take that and you layer on, okay, now we're kind of entering into incremental interest in customization and really wanting to get at personalized tax loss harvesting. And that's where separately managed accounts, SMAs, are the area we, you know, while we launched ETFs in 2020, we brought out our separately managed accounts in late 2021. So a year later. So, you know, back-to-back innovation from, from Dimensional. It's been really fun. And those separately managed accounts allow for the investor at a lower minimum account size to really articulate their need around customization, whether that be ESG or let's say a client, because a client works for a particular public company, they can't hold that stock. So you really can tailor things to the client's need. The um, I want to stay on SMAs for a bit because I know you've shared a little, little bit. I'm putting you on the spot, I know, but your team is actually working on some pretty interesting capabilities in the whole SMA world. Uh, could you share a little bit about that? 
Sure. So um, we touched on it. Uh, I mentioned we launched the SMA lineup in September 2021. And uh, we brought down the minimum, you know, just redesigning the operational steps and redesigning the interaction and, you know, creating basically what we call the SMA center on our website, um, where an advisor can go in and customize the investment choices, as well as the tax management features they're looking for. And this has been, you know, really successful. We've we've had tremendous take up. Um, you know, building out any new business is always a you know a, a growth, and it takes some time and some patience. You got to educate clients, but we've we've been pretty impressed. We've got about two hundred accounts, um, uh, about. I think we're about 350 million in assets under management there. But you know, it's really growing and we're having great feedback from the clients. We're seeing that, you know, 90% of the of the client accounts are using uh, the tool and really appreciating and, and give us feedback that they're they're using it for tax loss harvesting. And another 35% of the clients uh, separately are using at least one of the ESG screens we make available. So we're really seeing that the focus groups we did in advance of bringing out the product, those were the two features people said they wanted. They wanted greater tooling and greater precision around tax loss harvesting and um, expressing an ESG screen. And that is exactly the features we built into the tooling. And we're seeing that our clients are really taking us up on that. It's been great. So here we are, the, the markets are nothing but volatile in 2022. We're recording this at the time of recording, you know, there's literally a war going on in Europe. I have to imagine your team is talking to a lot of different advisors every day, all day. Uh, they're watching the markets, they're focused on some of the news, the volatility. Is there a best way that they should be engaging with dimensional? How do they tap into your teams, the the investment content you're producing, the thought leadership you're producing, right? How, how do they they become part of that dimensional community? Sure. Thank you for that. So for advisors, um, you know, part of that's just reaching out to us. If if we don't already know you, please reach out to us. Um, though we do, you know, we do engage. Um, and have relationships with many firms. And we can sit down and take you through what you could access and what you can learn from us. And we also want to understand what your goals are, right? You know, where, 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 what is your investment approach and where might we fit in? So, you know, spending that time both actively listening um, from the advisor on where their goals are, but also, you know, sharing with them some of the things that we are finding advisors find valuable. Um, is is part of that engagement. You know, you can reach out to us over the web. You can call us. For individual investors, there is a tool on our website on find an, find an advisor because for individual investors, they do need to go through advisors. We do think that advice model is 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 super super important. And clients in our investor survey tell us that you know the number one thing they care about their that they want their advisor to do for them is understand their goals and understand their needs. You know, there's a lot of content on our website. You can go and learn about inflation. You can go and learn about fixed income. You can go and learn about, um, you know, the diversification um, and what makes something diversified. Um, and so we've got a lot of content on our website, whether it be our blog, our white papers, um, little videos that we make available. And I think we also partner a lot with a lot of advisor firms. We make our experts available to talk to your clients and talk to your advisors and really educate them um, and teach them. So it's it's a it's a really um, 
you know, actually it's kind of interesting, right? You think about it is that engagement comes from that teaching mindset that is part of the academic founding of the firm. And we're thrilled to have clients and in our advisors who really follow us and, and that we can learn from too, because it changes over time, what tooling they're using, for example, the digital innovations that they need to do and we need to do to continue to reach clients. And uh, if you're not yet on the Dimensional website, then consider this your formal invitation to do so. And if you're listening to this podcast outside of the, uh, the U.S., there's over 18 different site locations for Dimensional, depending on your country of origin. Uh, so we welcome to, you to go to Dimensional.com. That is a wrap on this edition of the Inside ETFs podcast. As a reminder, you can find this episode, as well as many other episodes of the Inside ETFs podcast, on the New York Stock Exchange's website, homeofetfs.com. Thank you so much, Lisa, for being here to share your insights. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes featuring thought leaders from across the ETF ecosystem. I'm Douglas Jonas, head of exchange-traded funds at the New York Stock Exchange, the home of ETFs. Schwab Asset Management is proud to support the Inside ETFs podcast. In today's complex world, Schwab Asset Management provides a simple, straightforward approach to investing. As one of the largest and most experienced asset managers, they offer low-cost core ETFs for building the foundation of a diversified portfolio. Their focused lineup, which includes market cap index and strategic beta ETFs, is a reflection of a commitment to deliver exceptional experiences to investors and the financial professionals who serve them. Learn more at schwabassetmanagement.com forward slash ETFs.